Hey y'all, this is Jeff. Uh, thanks for tuning in on our first message in the book of John. So uh, we go over John 1 and uh, we're really diving into who Jesus is and what that means for us. Uh, so hope you're blessed, hope you enjoy it. And uh, we challenge you, uh, press in, press into who Jesus is, get to know him more today. Like always, let's, let's put our hands over our hearts. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts tonight. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we can know the hope to which we are called. God, give us strength to comprehend, supernatural strength to comprehend how much you love us. Lord, we thank you for taking us from glory to glory to glory to glory. Every single day we get closer and closer to you, Lord. We get conformed to your image every day. We thank you, Lord. Use this word tonight. Use, uh, just speak, speak clearly to us tonight. Transform us, Lord, as we look at you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. So John, the disciple whom Jesus loved the most, wrote this. And he's the one that had, he wrote the book of Revelation and I believe there's some revelation in that to where John was able to call himself the one that Jesus loved the most because he knew how loved he was by God. I believe he had a revelation that none of the other disciples had, that he was so loved by God. It's why he was reclining against Jesus at, at the Last Supper. He didn't have anything to prove. Um, he, he, just, he just knew, I am so loved by God. And he called himself the one that, that God loved the most. <laughs> and he wrote, I think he has a glimpse into who Jesus is that we can glean from, we can get revelation from, and we need to see Jesus in the way that John saw Jesus and, and realize that, man, I am so loved by God. I don't need anything else. So I'm gonna start reading through the book of John, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, the living expression was already there, and the living expression was with God, and, it was, and he was fully God. Um, other translations say the, the, the word was God, the word was God, and the word was with God. Uh, the Greek is uh, logos. Um, and we know it as, translated as the word, the, the logos word. Um, however, um, the, the Greek term logos may be rendered word, but it would be wrong to think that it indicates primarily a lexical unit in a sentence. Like it's not just a word. Logos is more accurately understood as the form of self-revealing or message so Jesus is the eternal message, the creative word and the living expression of God made visible. He is the divine self-expression of all that God is, contains, and reveals in incarnated flesh. So just as we express ourselves in letters or words, God literally expressed his fullness in Jesus. So if you want to know the will of God or anything, anything about God, it is all revealed in the life and person of Jesus. Jesus is the will of God. And how, how many assumptions and characteristics do we place on God that cannot be found in Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? 
Like your, our view of who God is is one of the most important aspects of who we are. If we see God through a filter or a lens or whatever it may be, um, it affects literally how we live, how we think, how we talk, how we move. So we have to look at Jesus in order to understand God. You get the full picture of God in Jesus because he is God. He is fully God and fully man. So you can't say anything about God that isn't found in the life of Jesus. You can't say, God, you know, God's mad at me or God's not compassionate. Jesus is not those things. You cannot think or say anything about God that is not found in the life of Jesus. So verse 2, they were together face to face in the beginning. And through his creative inspiration, the living expression made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. Or it says, of, of all things happened because of him, and nothing happened apart from him. Verse 4, a fountain of life was in him, for his life is light for all humanity. The Aramaic reads, in him were lives, as plural. Not only multiple human lives, but spiritual life, eternal life, and life in every single form was in Jesus. John used the word for life he used this word for life 30, 37 times in his gospel. Jesus brings the light of eternal life and the full revelation of God. And, and you, can break, you can break John up into, into three sections. Chapter 1 through 7, light. Chapter 8 through 12, love. And, or sorry, life. Chapter 1 through 7. Chapter 8 through 12 is light. And chapter 13 through 21 would be characterized with, of, of love. Verse 5, and this light never fails to shine through darkness, light, can, light that darkness could not overcome. Verse 6, suddenly a man appeared who was sent from God, a messenger named John, for he came as a witness to point to the light of life and to help everyone believe. John was not that light, but he came to show who is, for he was merely a messenger to speak the truth about the light. Verse 9, for the perfect light of truth was coming into the world to shine upon everyone. He entered into the world he created, yet the world was unaware. He came to the people he created, to those who should have received him, but they did not recognize him. That's a big deal. Verse 12, but those who embraced him and took hold of his name, he gave the authority or the right to become children of God. This is I want us to, to take hold of verses 11 through 12 for, for later. But to those who should have received him, they did not recognize him. But those who embraced him, he gave the authority to become sons of God. <laughs> this, is, this is actively taking hold of your identity in Christ and living that out. Passivity when it comes to your identity in Christ, leads to complacency, frustration, and backsliding. To those that embraced Jesus, to those that embraced Jesus and took hold of him, he gave the authority to be sons of God. Do you guys understand that? It, this, is, this is an active lifestyle of taking hold of your, of your new identity in Christ when you get born again. It is, it is not passive at all. And I, I, I really believe passivity when it comes to your identity in Christ leads to complacency, frustration, and backsliding. Verse 13, he was not born by the joining of human parents or from natural means or by a man's desire, but he was born of God. 
And so the living expression or the living word became a man and lived among us. The Aramaic word for, for mercy here is uh, tebutha, meaning loving kindness or goodness. The Greek word is charis, which, which means grace, favor, sweetness, pleasure, or delight. Jesus is literally full of everything that our hearts crave. His fullness feeds us. This is, why, this is why we minister to him. When we choose to minister to the Lord, we offer ourselves as, as sacrifices to him. And because he's the God that he is and he has pulled us into adoption through the spirit and being born again, your authority in living as a son enables there to be a flow from the throne room of heaven that fills every need, every desire that we have. You guys getting that? The fullness of Christ feeds every need, every desire that you could ever possibly have. Verse 15, John announced the truth about him when he taught the people. He's the one, he's the one I've been telling you would come after me, even though he ranks far above me because he existed before I was even born. Verse 16, and from the overflow of his fullness, we receive grace heaped upon grace. Or out of the fullness we are fulfilled. Every believer receives the fullness of Christ. From the fullness of Christ, a divine completeness. We are given from him whatever each requires for the perfection of his character and the fulfillment of his life's purposes. Steve talks about this all the time. So like the fullness of Christ is living within you. That is incomprehensible. The fullness of God dwells in you. And when you read this word through the, through, the, through the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Lord gives you keys of revelation that unlock more and more of the fullness of Christ already in you. The, the Christian life is just about discovering the fullness that's already in you because of Christ. You died, were born again, and Christ, the fullness of Christ, fills you. And, and meets every need and desire that, that you could ever, ever have. And the Christian life is just a pursuit of revelation that unlocks more and more of the fullness of Christ already in you. Isn't that crazy? No? Yeah. <laughs> Verse 17, Moses gave us the law. But Jesus, the anointed one, unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. Sorry, that was that word for mercy. So Moses, think about this. Moses was the lawgiver. Jesus is the grace giver who fulfilled the law. In the first miracle of Moses, you guys remember what Moses did? He turned water into blood. In the first miracle of Jesus, he turns uh, water into wine. So <laughs> the law <laughs> versus grace, what Jesus came to do. You've got bitterness, and then you've got the sweetness of his presence. Verse 18, no one ever before gazed upon the full splendor of God except his uniquely beloved son, who is cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now that he has come to us, he has unfolded the full explanation of who God truly is. This means you don't have to guess about who God is anymore. Jesus is the full explanation of who God is. Verse 19, now this was John's testimony when some of the Jewish leaders sent an entourage of priests and temple servants from Jerusalem to interrogate him, saying, who are you? They asked him. John answered them directly, saying, I am not the Messiah. 
Then who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, John replied. So they pressed him further. Are you the prophet Moses said was coming? The one we're expecting? No, he replied. Then who are you, they demanded. We need an answer for those who sent us. Tell us something about yourself. John answered them, I am an urgent, thunderous voice crying out in the desert, clear the way and prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord Yahweh. Verse 24, then some members of the religious sect known as the Pharisees questioned John, why do you baptize the people if you're neither the Messiah, Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize the people in this river, or I baptize with, with water, but the one who will take my place is to be more honored than I. But even when he stands among you, you will not recognize or embrace him. I am not worthy enough to stoop down in front of him and untie his sandals. So the religious, the religious leaders questioning John here, um, they considered themselves set apart and holy. They viewed themselves as better than anyone else because they thought they were close to God. They thought they were in close proximity to God. John says here, you will not recognize Jesus when he is in front of you. These guys were puffed up with self-righteousness. Their deeds made them haughty and proud. They had confidence in their works. This is the problem when we begin to take pride in what we do. You guys hear me? This is the problem when we take pride in what we do. We miss Jesus when he is in the room and among us. Self-righteousness, self-confidence, any form of pride rooted in self blinds us from seeing him. How does this happen? Getting validation or getting anything you need or any desire met outside of God can lead to this because you're opening yourself up to disconnection with God. If God is not filling us with his fullness that has everything we need, then we're attempting to fill ourselves and when we do that through works or or whatever it may be, and become satisfied with what we do or affirmation, we can tend to think that we're responsible for our own contentment, contentment, putting ourselves in a place of lack when it comes to our relationship with God. Verse 28, all these events took place at Bethany where John was baptizing at the place of, of the crossing of the Jordan River. The very next day, John saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized, and John cried out, Look, there he is, God's Lamb. He takes away the sins of the entire world. It's, it's really cool to hear the connection that Jesus was publicly washed during his baptism as the Lamb of God. And I, I never caught that before. He was, he was publicly washed as the Lamb of God, and, and people at that time would have understood that because... Uh, Lambs were to be sacrificed and they had to be washed before they were sacrificed. So John is declaring, look, this is the Lamb of God. And then Jesus is publicly washed. That's, that is amazing connection. Ready to become the sacrifice for all the world. Verse 30, I told you that a mighty one would come who is far greater than I am because he existed long before I was born. My baptism was for the preparation of his appearing to Israel, even though I didn't recognize him. Then as he baptized Jesus, he proclaimed these words, I see the Spirit of God appear like a dove descending from the heavenly realm and landing upon him, and it remained on him. Bill Johnson likes to say, uh, live in such a way that the dove remains on you. The Holy Spirit remains on you. Do not offend the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Live in such a way that the dove 
would want to remain on you. But this dove points, this dove points to, the, to the dove that Noah released. You guys remember that story in, uh, in kindergarten? The, <laughs> the Noah and the ark. <laughs> Noah's floating along in the flood, and he releases a flood. Or releases, he doesn't release the flood. He releases a dove, and it found no place to rest in a fallen world. The, first, the final time Noah released the dove, it flew and never returned. It never found a place to rest. It flew over Abraham, the patriarchs. It flew over the prophets and the kings. It found no place to rest. And at last, there was a heavenly man who carried the life of heaven, and upon him, the dove or the Holy Spirit rested and remained. There was nothing that could offend heaven in the life of Jesus. Verse 33, before this, I didn't know who he was, but the one who sent me to baptize with water had told me, you will see the Spirit come down and stay on someone. He will be the one I have sent to baptize with the Holy Spirit. You see this pattern occurring all throughout church history. We baptize into Jesus, and then Jesus baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. He's still sitting on the throne of heaven, baptizing into the Holy Spirit. That's the gift he died to give us. And, and, and he loves to pour it out. We baptize into Jesus, Jesus baptizes into the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, now I have seen this happen, and I can tell you for sure that this man is the Son of God. The next day, Jesus walked right past where John and two of his disciples were standing, John, gazing upon Jesus, pointed to him and prophesied, look, there is God's sacrificial lamb. And as soon as John's two disciples heard this, they immediately left John and began to follow a short distance behind Jesus. Jesus turned around and saw they were following him and asked, what do you want? They responded, Rabbi, which means master teacher, where are you staying? Jesus answered, come and discover for yourself. That, that's so crazy that you just ask a rando, yo, where are you staying? He's like, you know, come and figure it out. <laughs> they went with him and saw where he was staying, and since it was late in the afternoon, they spent the rest of the day with Jesus. One of the two disciples who heard John's words began to follow Jesus and was a man named Andrew. He first found his brother Simon Peter and told him, we found the anointed one, or the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. When he gazed upon Andrew's brother, he prophesied to him, you are Simon and your father's name is John, but from now on everyone will call you Cephas which means Peter the rock. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee where he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, come and follow me. Now Philip, Andrew, and Peter had, had all grown up together in the village of Bethsaida. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we found him, we found the one we've been waiting for. It's Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. He's the one Moses and the prophets prophesied would come. Nathanael sneered, Nazareth, what good, what good thing could ever come from Nazareth? Philip answered, come, let's find out. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, here comes a true son of Israel, an honest man with no hidden motive. Nathanael was stunned, said, you've never met me. How do you know anything about me? Jesus answered, Nathanael, right before Philip came to you, I saw you sitting under the shade of a fig tree. Side note, this amazed Nathanael so much uh, because this was a word of knowledge. Jesus didn't actually see him physically. Uh, this is probably an intimate moment where Nathanael was praying alone under a fig tree, and Jesus saw that through a word of knowledge. 
So verse 49, Nathanael blurted out, Teacher, you are truly the Son of God and the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe simply because I told you I saw you sitting under a fig tree? You will experience even more impressive things than that. I prophesy to you this eternal truth. From now on, you all will see an open heaven and gaze upon the Son of Man like a stairway reaching into the sky with the messengers of God climbing up and, up and down upon him. Or it could be translated, you, plural, will spiritually see. And this is a promise for every believer today since Jesus tore the veil of heaven for us to enter in. This is a reference to Jacob's ladder, if you don't know what that story is about. Jesus is the stairway that joins earth to heaven and brings heaven to earth. Do you notice the contrast already in John 1 where religious leaders that couldn't even recognize Jesus because they were puffed up with themselves versus men who were not puffed up with themselves, the common man, if you will. This is the difference between people who think they have everything they need and people who are hungry. It says right in the beginning here in John that he will come, the, the, the expression of God himself, Jesus, will come, will come live among us and we will not recognize him. And right here in John, in John 1, we see a stark contrast between religious leaders puffed up, standing right there looking at Jesus, not even recognizing him, that he is the expression of God. And then you have these, these, these common fishermen who where Jesus says one word of knowledge to, they said, truly you are the son of God. What's the difference? This is the difference between people who think they have everything they need people who are hungry or searching. The disciples here who Jesus invited had been seeking already because they went and told each other, yo, the one we've been looking for, the one prophesied about is here. They had been actively, they had a heart that was actively seeking. Knock and the door will be open. The religious leaders had been working, working for self-righteousness. There's a huge difference between working and seeking. Working results in earning. And earning something can make you entitled to the thing you're working for. Does that make sense? Put this in a religious context, you get the Pharisees who couldn't even recognize the Christ in front of them. What could we take away? I actually have three things. I, I don't usually do that, but I have three things, three points. <laughs> Jesus is the will of God. Everything you need to know about God is found in Jesus. He is the physical representation of who God is. That's the first thing. Jesus is the will of God. Second thing, every desire, every need, everything you could possibly want is satisfied in the person of Jesus because his fullness spills out to fill you. Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfied. Number three, anything self-driven blinds us from seeing him, recognizing him. Self-promotion, self-righteousness, self-pity, entitlement, all these things blind us from seeing him. It's a heart that's not seeking. It's a, it's a 
It's an analytical heart only looking at self. And when, when that happens, it blinds us from seeing him. So number one, Jesus is the will of God. Number two, Jesus fills every need, every desire. Number three, anything self-driven blinds you from seeing him. Why, why is that important? Uh, because what the Lord is doing with us, the Lord is building a resting place for himself in our city through us where we look at him, exalt him, worship him, thank him, praise him, see him rightly and hear him clearly. Our heart posture matters tremendously. It will either accelerate what God is doing or kill you. Where God wants to take us, we cannot have any type of self-preservation, self-motivation, self-agenda. This is about him. And I want to be one that recognizes him when he walks into the room, and I want to respond accordingly. I want a heart that's seeking, a heart that's seeking, seeking, seeking. Anything else my heart's not allowed to do? <laughs> he is all things if you let him be all things. But he will never be enough if there's any other agenda. This gospel is an invitation to die so that he can literally be everything to you. Where there is a resting place for God, there's also required the death of self. Two kingdoms will not stand in his kingdom. Jesus is central. He has to stay central, be central, remain central. Anything else is not doable. And I want to challenge, I want to challenge us tonight to commit to a daily lifestyle of seeking, seeking, seeking. And when we, when we find, we can declare we have found him. And we have found him. And all we do for the rest of our life is continue to lift, lift, lift Jesus up, lift Jesus up. That's the only thing because his fullness meets and satisfies everything the world is seeking to find. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's, that's the main thing and it will stay the main thing and always be the main thing. That we can be like John and be voices in a generation that say, Look, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. And when Jesus is exalted, it's a biblical promise that he will draw all men unto himself. And he becomes everything to everyone. So, I'm gonna end in prayer. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Lord, we say yes to, to the Holy Spirit shaking, shaking everything so that you can be the one thing that we seek, the one thing that we desire. Lord, help us to see you rightly and recognize Jesus when you're in the room. Give us a sense, such a sensitivity to the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God is always is always raising up the name of Jesus. The Spirit of God wants to glorify Jesus and Jesus wants to glorify the Father. Give us a heart and tune it, Lord. Fine tune it to be sensitive to your movements. Let us never miss a moment where Jesus is in the room. Lord, get anything that's self-motivated out because we're blind to you 
when that's the case. Lord, I pray for, for encounters in this season, that you would beckon us to your feet to minister to you. Pray for dreams and revelation. And specifically, Lord, I, I pray that you would give us um, a kingdom aggression to take hold of the identity of Christ that's within all of us, that we would never be passive about living like Christ. It would never be passive to live like Christ, Lord. Give us a zeal, a burning in our hearts that we would know you and that we could walk with you and walk like you, Lord. You are everything to us. You are everything to us. Your fullness spills out and fills us. Lord, let us be so full of you. In Jesus' name, amen.